Good morning, everybody. And if you were listening to that, the, the, uh, the piano says, praise the Lord. So we want to praise the Lord here this morning and uh, just want to welcome everyone here. Uh, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, I see we have uh, a few people that have been ill that are back with us. And we're uh, thankful, thankful for that and, uh, and the Lord's blessings on their lives. And um, we have, uh, and this is, uh, we also have the uh, uh, chamber singers that will be coming here. Uh, it's been a few years since uh, they've come. And, uh, and so they will be here on Wednesday, uh, December 15th. And so be in, uh, be in prayer for that. And uh, it's always a, a good turnout. Invite some of your friends and family. And uh, we usually, did you say if you have any? Or? Um, oh, what time? Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was what I was thinking. If I had any, I would, but <laughs> it just came out. Uh, we, they, didn't, uh, they did not give us a time, uh, but we'll, we'll find that out in the next few weeks. But uh, sorry about that. All right. So uh, ch Chamber of Singers on December 15th and also... Uh, don't forget the uh, Thanksgiving Eve service uh, the, uh, uh, on November 24th at 7 o'clock. Uh, and uh, we always have a really enjoyable time uh, for our Thanksgiving Eve service. So if, uh, and I know that a lot of people are busy the night before Thanksgiving, et cetera, but uh, we really have an enjoyable time in, in praising the Lord and Thanksgiving. And so if you're able, love to have you all come uh, and I would like to uh, acknowledge uh, this morning uh, our veterans we have uh, uh, we didn't last Sunday and we had Veterans Day and then there's this Sunday so it's like uh, but I did want to just uh, acknowledge uh, those that have served uh, in our uh, served our country in the military and uh, those veterans, uh, if you would like to stand up and we would like to acknowledge you. Any veterans? Uh, amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And I have one more announcement this morning. Yes. Oh, Donna. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes, right. The cans, the cans and the bottles. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's uh, uh, we'll have to. We'll. Um, I'm sure we'll get that taken care of. I don't know when or how, but it'll be taken care of. 
All right. Any other announcements this morning? All right. It is good to have Brian back. Yes. All right. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and for your care over each one of us. And, and again, as uh, has been mentioned, we thank you for bringing those back uh, uh, that had COVID and, uh, and those that still are maybe a little bit under the weather and not quite feeling right. But um, we just thank you for our church family here this morning. We thank you that we can fellowship and have a good time of fellowship with other believers. And we thank you this morning for Ian and Miranda and for their service here at the church and uh, the late nights and early mornings and, and being there when, when they're needed. And we just thank you for them. And we pray that you would bless them uh, because of their service and that you would just watch over them. We thank you for the sunshine today we thank you that we can be in your house to worship you. And most of all, we pray that everything that we do, both this morning and throughout the week, we pray that it would be glorifying and honoring to you and that we would be your servants wherever we are. We pray that you bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Our script reading this morning will be found in Psalm 16, if you'd like to follow along, Psalm 16. <clears throat> Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. And now if you would turn with me to number 210 and stand and sing praise to the Lord. Oh. 
Now would the uh, ushers come forward for the morning offering, please.
Why should they yield us in the first place? It's only a portion that we give it wholeheartedly and hope mm. that we do it wisely. Mm. Amen. And please remain standing. And uh, if you would turn in your in your uh, green book in your in the pew in front of you to number one, Christ, our hope in life and death. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep? Who stands above the stormy drive? 
Christ our hope in life and death. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Good singing this morning, as always. Such an encouragement. It's interesting when Paul gives the command to, to sing when we gather together, he says, sing songs to one another. To one another. And so there's a way in which when we're singing, of course, we're singing to the Lord, right? But we're also, we come here every morning and we, we sing to one another. We're actually encouraging one another with the truths of the gospel. And that's, that's just one of the essential elements of of what it means to gather. All right, let's, uh, let's take some time to go now to the Lord in prayer. From Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made us glad by your work, at the works of your hands we sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. We praise you, Lord, especially on this, this beautiful, crisp fall morning. We feel the light of the sun coming in through the windows and, and are reminded of your, your care for us and for all creation. We praise you, Lord, for you are our creator and our king. And we confess, Lord, as we come into your presence, into your holiness, that we, we are sinners. We've sinned. We confess that in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions this week, we've, we've done wrong. Consciously and unconsciously, we've, we've turned aside from your commandments and your rules. We haven't listened to your word. We've rebelled against you and haven't obeyed the voice of you, our God. And so we confess our sins now silently as we, as we come into your presence. Father, we praise you with the psalmist that you do not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your steadfast love towards those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We thank you, Lord, for the assurance of forgiveness that we have in Jesus' name. Assurance of forgiveness of our sins, adoption into your family. We thank you, Lord, for the death and the resurrection of Christ, which have won all of this for us. We're so thankful, Father, to be together as a, as a church family this morning. So thankful, especially for those who are here who, who've been sick and who are now feeling well. We thank you, Lord, for, for your care for them. We, we pray especially this morning for all those who are still sick. Lord, we lift up the Operation Christmas Child boxes that will be headed out this week. Uh, we, we thank you, Lord, for that ministry. And we, 
Uh, we pray, Lord, for the children who receive those boxes to receive those gifts. And uh, we pray that the gifts would be a joy, but more than that, Lord, we pray for the, the follow-up program that, uh, that exists with those boxes, that, that kids are receiving not only gifts, but also um, a gospel discipleship course for a matter of weeks afterwards. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be at work um, through those teachers, through those pastors who are directing these courses, um, and with these children, that you'd make their hearts soft and receptive to the gospel, and that, that many might believe, Lord, and be saved. I pray that you'd accompany specifically, Lord, the boxes from our church, that, um, uh, that the children who receive them uh, would, uh, would come to believe in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this congregation and this opportunity to gather together. We pray that you bless the rest of this time by the, the presence of your spirit, that you'd be with us, guide us, and lead us in the way we should go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The final song before the message is 575, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. I love that song. Safe and secure from all alarms. No matter what, the Lord is with us. Let's stand and sing the first and last verses of 575. of scripture I'd like to draw your attention to this morning will be found in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're nearing the end of the gospel of Mark. In fact, next week will be our final sermon in the gospel of Mark, uh, which is lined up providentially very well with the beginning of Advent, which will start in two weeks. So we're almost done. Mark 15, and we'll be looking at verses 40 through 47 this morning. One of the most significant memories I have of my grandmother Mary is every Memorial Day, she would take us around to the various cemeteries where, where her relatives were buried, and uh, she'd bring fresh flowers to plant 
and she'd bring new flowers every year, and she'd take out the old ones. And, and we, my brothers and I were there mainly to carry water uh, from the spigot to the, the, the graves. And uh, it's a really significant memory. And uh, that, that example of devotion. And it was a test, a devotion like that is a testament to my grandmother's character, I think. But, but more than that, it's a testament to the, the value and the importance of those family members to my grandmother, right? The reason she was so devoted in, in bringing those flowers to the graves every year is that she, she knew and loved these people, right? And that, that yearly example of devotion testified to the worth and the value of those people to my grandmother. Even, even the one who, who told her that she would haunt her if she ever planted fake flowers on her grave. She never did. Only fresh flowers. But I think that's the case with any, any act of true devotion, right? It's a, it's a testament to the, the character of the one who's devoted, but really more importantly, it's a testament to the worth of the one to whom you are devoted, right? A soldier going into battle, risking his life for a cause. It says something about his character, but more importantly, it, it says something about the cause for which he's willing to die, the cause for which he's willing to risk his life. It's a testament to the worth of that cause. We're going to look at two displays of devotion this morning in Mark chapter 15. Displays of devotion which testify to the worth of Christ. Christ is worthy of our devotion. And we're going to see that this morning in the, the devotion of the women at the cross and the devotion of Joseph of Arimathea at Christ's burial. Again, the passage is in Mark 15. We'll begin in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing this morning as we look to your word, that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you'd apply these words to our hearts, that as we, as we examine these acts of devotion, you would, you would instill in us, Lord, hearts which treasure Jesus and which would be fully devoted to him. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Christ is worthy of devotion. 
And we're going to see that in two acts of devotion. The women's devotion at the, the foot of the cross and Joseph, is, Joseph of Arimathea's courage before Pilate. We'll start with the women. Verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. The first and maybe most interesting thing to note about the women at the foot of the cross is who wasn't at the foot of the cross. If you were to think of the list of Jesus' disciples that we've encountered so far in the Gospel of Mark, the most prominent of them would, of course, be the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. They were the closest to Jesus. They were the, they were the in-group, right? They were the ones Jesus had specially appointed to follow him and to be with him. And here at the foot of the cross, where are his disciples? Nowhere to be seen, scattered. We do know from the Gospel of John that John the Apostle was there at the foot of the cross with the women, um, maybe hiding behind their petticoats. Um, <laughs> the disciples had scattered. And the only ones among Jesus' disciples with the courage or the devotion to be at the foot of the cross were these women, who we really haven't heard from very much in the Gospel of Mark at all. But there was a group of women that followed Jesus. They were his disciples. They were his followers. Um, there was probably more here at the cross than are named specifically. Um, Mark names Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. The Gospel of John also tells us that Mary the mother of Jesus was there at the foot of the cross as well. And we're told that these women, when he was in Galilee, they, they ministered to him. Of course, Jesus and his disciples weren't working any kind of steady job while they were wandering around, and so they relied on people's charity. And a number of women hosted them. Um, they were hospitable to them, gave them places to stay, fed them, these sorts of things. be interesting to consider each of these individual women at the foot of the cross. We don't know a lot about all of them. We really don't know much about Mary, the mother of, uh, of James and Joseph, or of, of Salome. Of course, we know quite a lot about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We can imagine what must have been going through her mind at the foot of the cross, what led her to be there, right? It must have been something powerful to keep her there in, at the darkness of Gethsemane the cries of the cross, the angry onlookers mocking Jesus, the Roman soldiers. And yet they were there. And what kept her there? Well, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had reason to be there. This is her son, right? But not just her son, right? The son of, of promise, the son the angels had foretold to her. And she treasured up these things in her heart that Jesus was to be the savior of Israel. And she'd watched as he grew in wisdom and knowledge and, and watched as he began his ministry, watched in awe as she witnessed the miracles and heard the, the authoritative teaching that Jesus gave. Saw the promises that were made to her. She was a teenager in Bethlehem coming to fruition. 
as Jesus grew into a man. And now at the cross, she watched him die. Wondering how this had anything to do with the glorious promises she'd heard from the shining angels. And yet, despite the potential for disappointment, she didn't turn away. She was there. She was devoted. Mary Magdalene's there, too. A lot of Marys at the foot of this cross. We do know a little bit about Mary, of Mary Magdalene from the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus first encountered Mary Magdalene, she was demon-possessed, and not just by one demon, by many demons. Mary Magdalene's life was literally a living hell on earth. It was a, a sort of walking death. And what happened to Mary Magdalene when she encountered Jesus is that she found a, a cure where she had never been able to find one. Right? When, when she met Jesus, winter ended and spring began. When she met Jesus, the, fun, the sun finally rose, right? The darkness finally ended, right? In one word, he cast out the demons, and she went from death to life. Jesus changed everything for Mary Magdalene. And we're told from that point on, she followed Jesus. She, she didn't want to be anywhere without the man who'd healed her, the man who'd saved her the only man who had ever given her hope for life. She would have been there to hear his, his teaching, to see the people astounded at what he'd said, to witness the, the miracles that he performed, to see him gloriously welcomed into Jerusalem, wondering, is this the time? Is he going to now be the Messiah? Is he going to be king? Is he going to defeat the Romans? and now watching him crucified. And you have to wonder what must have been going through her mind, potential for disappointment, for disillusionment. Thought he was the Christ. He saved so many. What's he doing on the cross? Of course, Jesus had explained, but we know from other scriptures, the disciples didn't really understand what was happening, didn't understand the necessity of the cross. And yet, the, despite the potential for disappointment or disillusionment, where was Mary? Did she flee like most of the disciples, hiding in an upper room somewhere, afraid of arrest? Mary's at the foot of the cross. Where is she in the face of this intense suffering? She's with the only man who ever gave her hope. It makes me think of Peter's words in in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, and Jesus was saying some hard stuff and most everyone was leaving. And Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave too? What did Peter say? No, Lord. Where, where will we go? You have the words of life. Where else can we go? Where else could Mary go? Mary understood as, as well as anyone could the immense value 
Jesus Christ, the immense worth of knowing Jesus, the Messiah. And there at the cross, with every reason to run away, she couldn't move. She was bound by devotion. Most of us don't have quite as dramatic a story as Mary of Magdalene. But I think most of us can see ourselves to some degree in her story if we're Christians. That at some point in our lives, Jesus brought us from death to life, from darkness to light. At some point, the sun rose over our lives and it's like, oh, it's Jesus, forgiven of our sins, brought into relationship with the Lord, brought from death to life. That's the devotion of the women there at the cross. We could say on one level their devotion speaks to their character, but I think that's minimizing it, right? Their devotion speaks of the worth of Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Jesus is worthy of devotion. Second act of devotion here is from another unlikely place. The women are maybe, the un- maybe unlikely if we, if we read up to Mark 15 and you were asked, who's supposed to be at the foot of the cross, we'd say, oh, probably the 12 disciples. And then it's these, these women, right? It's a, an, in one sense, it's an unlikely place. And we're gonna see in another unlikely place for devotion to come from, and that's Joseph of Arimathea, who's a fascinating character. Verse 42, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, stop there, just remind ourselves of the timing. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. on a Friday, and he died around 3 p.m. on that Friday. And in the Jewish reckoning, a a new day um, doesn't begin at midnight. It begins at sunset. So at sunset on Friday, that's when Saturday came. That's when the Sabbath came. And of course, the Jews were not permitted to work or do any kind of labor when Saturday hit. So as soon as the sun went down, they they had to cease their working. So when Jesus died around three, they realized someone's got to bury this, someone has to bury Jesus before sunset um, because they couldn't bury him on the Sabbath. And so in haste, This man, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, we haven't seen Joseph of Arimathea or or even heard of him yet in the Gospels. This is the first and really the only time he's mentioned is surrounding the, the burial of Jesus The reason it's unlikely that Joseph would show such devotion to Jesus is that Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council. What council? The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that had condemned Jesus for blasphemy and sent him to Pilate to be crucified. That council. The other Gospels tell us that Joseph of Arimathea had not consented to this decision. 
We're not sure exactly what that means if he wasn't there at the trial um, or if he'd spoken up. We don't have any record of, ex of exactly how he didn't consent. But Joseph of Arimathea was an exception on the Sanhedrin. He was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He's looking for the kingdom of God. So Joseph, like many Jews at the time, was searching the Old Testament scriptures, searching the prophets to understand when the kingdom of God would come. Because the prophets promised that one day God would show up in power, that, that a Messiah would come and he, that he would save the people, that he would restore the fortunes of Israel, and in, indeed to restore the whole world, to finally deal with sin and make everything right that's ever been wrong. Joseph was looking for the kingdom, searching the scriptures, wondering when will Messiah come? When will God make all this right? And apparently at some point, Joseph of Arimathea caught wind of Jesus. The other gospels actually tell us that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Um, he, he didn't go public with it before the Sanhedrin. But secretly, he was a disciple of Jesus. Apparently, he'd caught wind of Jesus somewhere, heard him speak somewhere, seen some miracle. And apparently, Joseph, when he heard Jesus speak, when he saw Jesus act, he caught in the wind the aroma of the kingdom of God. From his study of scriptures, he recognized, this Jesus must be the one. This is it. God's kingdom is breaking in. But up till this point, Joseph had done all this secretly. Maybe he hung at the back of the crowd at the Jesus rallies. But here he, we're told he took courage. He took courage. Now this is, this is not a phrase that's usually used of people who are just already bold and brash, right? This is a phrase used of a man who was a secret follower and was about to go public because Joseph knew the implications of what he was about to do. If he went before Pilate and asked for Jesus' body and put Jesus in his own personal tomb, all of Jerusalem would know pretty much immediately, including all his buddies on the Sanhedrin, this is a prominent man. We're told in the other Gospels he's also a very wealthy man. This is one of the leading men of Jerusalem, and he's about to put his whole reputation on the line for a man who was just condemned by all the Jewish leaders and by Rome and crucified publicly, humiliated. So he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, it does say something about his position that he was able to get even a hearing with Pilate. The women, the disciples, they couldn't have gotten a private hearing with Pilate on a moment's notice, right? But between 3 p.m. and sunset, Joseph was able to make an appointment with Pilate, talk to him personally, and get the body of Jesus. Joseph had some influence. Just on the way by, um, this, is, this is a lesson for us in and how to steward our influence well. Um, none of us are great leaders among the people, right? But all of us have influence. God's put us providentially 
um, in positions of influence with family, with friends, at workplaces, and, and all of us in unique ways. And he's called us like the parable of the talents, right, to use what we've been given well and to steward it well. Joseph of Arimathea was here at just the right time for such a time as this, right, to use his position um, to, to care for and to honor Jesus and actually also to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus would be, uh, would be buried with, with the, the rich, with the wealthy. So Joseph put him in his tomb. <laughs> One wonders if he had the words of Isaiah 53 in mind. Joseph uses his influence. Pilate, verse 44, was surprised to hear that he should already have died. Crucifixions usually took more than six hours. They could take as much as days of agony on the cross. But of course, we know that Jesus was already half dead by the time he got to the cross. He was, he was too weak even to carry his own cross. And so it only took a matter of hours for Jesus to die. But Pilate, wanting to do his due diligence, summoned the centurion who we've already met last week, the centurion who at the foot of the cross said, surely this must be the son of God. Pilate calls him up to his office. Is he dead? Centurion certifies, yes, indeed, he was dead. Verse 45, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Another note here, just because one of the common objections to the resurrection of Jesus is to make the, the hypothesis that perhaps Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but that he swooned um, and, and that he, he lo- later woke up in the cool of the tomb. And this is, this is a ridiculous theory on its face. First of all, because the Romans were experts, they knew exactly what they were doing. There is simply no record of anyone ever surviving a Roman crucifixion. It didn't happen. The Romans knew what they were doing. And besides that, we have here multiple witnesses who certified that Jesus was dead. We have, well, first of all, the centurion, right? Whose, whose job it was to execute criminals. He knew when people were dead. He certified it. Pilate certified it. Joseph knew it as he carried Jesus' body to the tomb. Verse 46. Before we go there, Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. His body was dead. So when he rose from the grave on Sunday morning, he didn't stumble out as a weak, beleaguered, half-dead corpse of a man, right? He came out fully alive. Verse 46. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. You can hear the care in these words that Joseph is showing for Jesus. This is the man who he believed was the Messiah. Again, we don't know exactly what was going through Joseph's mind at this point. Probably some thoughts of discouragement or disillusionment. 
but whatever he was thinking, he still had enough respect for and honor for, he still treasured Christ enough that he put his neck on the line to make sure Jesus had a decent burial. And he takes care in, in wrapping Jesus with the linen shroud. The Gospel of John tells us that also present here was Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, from John chapter 3, who Jesus famously said, in order to see the kingdom, you must be born again. Nicodemus apparently was also a disciple by this point because Nicodemus purchased a large quantity of spices and herbs and for, for Jesus' burial and brought them. And together, apparently, Nicodemus and Joseph wrapped Jesus' body and prepared him for burial. And this is a striking scene to imagine because we, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, at every turn, Jesus has been very careful to condemn the teachers, the leaders, the shepherds of Israel for their hypocrisy, for their deceit, for the fact that they'd been taking advantage of the people. He called them out at every opportunity because the shepherds of Israel had rejected their God, really, and literally did that when Jesus, God in the flesh, showed up and they condemned him. The, the leaders of Israel were apostate. And yet here we have two of the teachers of Israel, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus the Pharisee, one of the great teachers of Israel, two faithful teachers who had not rejected their Messiah, who had searched the scriptures and recognized their Messiah and honored him in his death. It's a beautiful thing. Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb where Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. See these women's presence all along the way at the cross, at the grave now, and next week, we'll, we'll see them at the grave again, right? These women, not the disciples, the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ, bearers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. We'll talk about that hope next week. But before, before we finish, I, I do want to consider... This, this, this example of devotion. Christ is worthy of devotion. By our devotion, we, we, we glorify Christ. We say something about what we believe about Jesus' worth by the way we act, by the way we live. We've seen in these two examples of devotion to Christ that the women at the cross, and that Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they treasured Christ. They'd seen him for who he was. And so they treasured him, they honored him, they were devoted to him. And my question for us this morning is, is we who've believed in Christ, what do our lives say about what we believe about the worth of Christ? 
we were to examine our, our last week, would we pick apart the narrative and notice devotion to Christ, honoring Christ? Or would we, would we see the opposite? And none of us are perfect, right? We all have room to grow here. And, and my encouragement would be, if, if you've come to this Sunday discouraged, and you say, I don't think this last week looks at all like honoring Christ. I encourage you, go to the cross, confess your sin, repent of it, turn to the Lord, and the first step in learning to honor and to be devoted to Christ is to receive his forgiveness. If, if Mary of Magdala is any example for us of devotion to Jesus, we should learn that the first step to being devoted to Jesus is being radically saved by Jesus, apart from anything we can do. And so if, if you as a Christian feel the need for refreshing this week in terms of your devotion to Christ, think back to your first love. Think back to your Mary of Magdala moment when things went from darkness to light. Think back to all that the Lord has accomplished and done in your life. Remember all that Jesus is for you. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian, I, I challenge you. Jesus really is worthy of devotion. He really is. And I encourage you to, to meet him. Talk to him in prayer. Go to him in, in, in the word. If you you're confused all about all this, or you want to know more about Jesus, find someone in this room and ask him to, to look at the Gospels with you this week and to read about Jesus and to meet him there. The ladies at the cross, Joseph before Pilate, many people in this room, we're all witnesses. Jesus is worthy of devotion. He's worthy of our devotion. Jesus is the greatest treasure we will ever know. He's worthy of it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you especially for Jesus, who is our great treasure. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death, your death on the cross for us in our place, bearing our sin. And we thank you, too, for the hope of your resurrection. And we, all of us who are Christians, Lord, we thank you for the way that you've, you've given us death to sins and life in Christ because of that cross and because of your resurrection. We thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for anyone who's here who, who may not have trusted in Christ, that you'd be at work in their hearts this week, that like, uh, like Joseph as he's searching out these things, um, that anyone here who might not know Christ would find Jesus almost inescapable, that the aroma of the kingdom would so fill their hearts and minds that they might believe. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Send us with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Our closing song will be number 79, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And let's stand and sing the first and the last verses of number 79. Jesus 